The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Let me read, read for us starting at verse 36 in Luke chapter 7. One of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If, if this, this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered him, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the entire time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father, we ask that we would hear these same words to us tonight, that you would help us to know and love Jesus, and that we would treasure him more, knowing the great cost at which our sins are forgiven. In his name we pray. Amen. So Jesus is the only person in history who cannot be studied enough. We have been going through this series, and um, I am just regularly refreshed by how this one truth, you cannot study Jesus enough. Um, I've read several biographies, and you get to the end of the biography, and you're like, all right, I got it, and you move on. You don't say that with Jesus. You don't get to the end of his biographies and say, oh, I got it, next. It's not how you orient towards Jesus. It's not how you understand him. You are constantly studying Jesus, and um, we have been going through this series in the Gospel of Luke, uh, looking at these personal encounters with Jesus, and I have to tell you, I didn't have like a huge strategy in mind with choosing this series. I chose it just because I want us to look at Jesus and get to know him more, but it has deeply affected me. It has deeply affected me to get to see Jesus 
and these personal encounters with people who are so incredibly, like me, broken and needy and uh, helpless in their lives, and seeing Jesus' mercy and kindness to them, his, uh, the way he goes out of his way uh, to speak grace into people's lives, to touch them in a way that's unique and it's been personally affecting me where I find myself, um, I haven't arrived yet. I don't love Jesus the most that I possibly could, but I'm loving him more. And I'm finding that God is helping me through this sermon series. And I hope that it's having the same effect on you, just getting to see who Jesus is and loving him more. And it's this loving him more uh, effect that we are seeing tonight in this passage with this woman. Um, because this woman is the first person in the Gospel of Luke to come to Jesus, and she's the first person to come to him without a problem needing to get fixed. She's the first person to come to him without something that she wants him to fix. Just She just wants to, she wants Jesus himself. She wants to love Jesus. And we're seeing here, we're getting introduced in a more profound way to Jesus and the grace of him. This woman is uh, our entry point to understand grace more deeply. And we use this word grace a lot. Um, our denomination is called Sovereign Grace Churches. We have it in our own name. We like grace, but we, uh, we tend to kind of use it a lot. And I don't know if we always get what it means because uh, it's not like grace is not like, uh, it's not like my apple juice here that's sustaining my throat. Uh, grace is the person of Jesus, and it is uh, receiving what we didn't ask for, and that is the effect that we get tonight as we look at Jesus, getting him, getting his gracious care for us. We're getting introduced to grace here, and we're not just getting introduced to grace raw, we're getting introduced to the cost of grace. And like this woman, I think we're being called to love Jesus for his costly grace. Um, and if that sounds kind of high-minded or kind of dense, um, I think what we're going to do is we're just going to walk through this passage together, and we are going to get to understand grace, who Jesus is, a little bit more progressively, step-by-step, step, as we understand who he is, to understand what grace means, what it, what it means to know Jesus himself. Um, to be like this woman, to come to Jesus. And so, as we are being called to love Jesus for his costly grace in this passage, we're going to be looking at these three things, and I'm not a, uh, I'm obviously a sick preacher, I'm not like a uh, overly astute preacher, but we're going to be looking at gracious, at God's gracious interruption, at gracious cancellation, and then a gracious declaration. So let's just look at verse 36 through 39. We're going to be looking at the first thing in this passage, a gracious interruption. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them 
with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman it is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. I mean, you can imagine, I don't know how you read this, I don't know how you interact with this, but this strikes me as being slightly awkward and slightly um, abnormal. Um, I have not had anybody cry over my feet, as amazing as I think I am. Nobody has cried over my feet, and nobody has wiped my feet with their tears and their hair. It seems a bit awkward and strange, but we have to enter into the scene from their perspective. We have to understand what's going on from their view, because at that time, uh, this would have been like a party. Uh, the Pharisee would have been a re- really well-known guy. He would have thrown like a big block party, kind of like we're having this Memorial Day party. Um, big block party, everybody, major important people invited. They would have had special seating at the chairs, little name cards on the table. And their table would have been close to the ground, so they would have all kind of like reclined on their side and eating kind of like, if you ever like imagine like those old Greek pictures of people laying down like eating grapes. That's kind of like that type of thing. Um, and their feet would have been like out at an angle. So that kind of helps us make sense of what's going on here. But she would have, she would have come up to the party, known that Jesus was there. The party's being live-streamed across the city. Everybody knows what's going on. Everybody sees who's there. She walks in, and she can see who Jesus is, where he's seated, because he's seated in a prominent place. And she knows uh, where to go. But, as we've been seeing through the Gospel of Luke, as we've been talking about all these people that Jesus had interactions with, there's a small phrase that just says, Behold, a woman of the city, which means this is the person we're supposed to pay attention to. This is the person that we enter into engaging Jesus through. This is the person that we are drawn to know. And uh, she is a person of uh, renown, so to speak. Um, when we, she's called a woman of the city. Now, maybe that kind of comes to mind and you think, oh, she's a prostitute, which is certainly a valid that's a way to read it. It's really not known what she was a sinner for, what she was known for, a woman of the city. She could have been married to a mob boss, uh, and so her husband was a man of the city, and so she would have been implicated in being, like, the wife, his wife. Uh, She could have been an adulterer. Uh, You know, who knows? It doesn't really matter. It's not clear. But what we do know about her is that she was uh, defined by this sin in her life, this reputation that she had. Everybody knew who she was. They would have known. I mean, unfortunately, she doesn't have a name, so, you know, I run the risk of giving her a name that somebody here has. Um, So I'm not going to venture to give her a name, but we'll just say, you know, this woman has a a reputation that precedes her. She's helpless. She has a reputation. As a woman in that culture, she would have been powerless to do anything to change her life. She is defined by this sin, um, and yet clearly she is broken by it. She's clearly humbled by her condition. She's clearly aware that, yeah, she's got a reputation. Her reputation's not good. It's true. And yet she's humble, and in a sense she's brave. She braves the culture. She braves the crowd to walk into this very public meeting. You know, you could imagine... Um, a big block party, and here comes the uh, ex-husband up the street, 
that everybody knows has a reputation for being the dude. And uh, walks right up into the party. She goes right to Jesus. And you wonder, I mean, what exactly, what exactly draws her to Jesus? Because it's not really clear. Like, why, why did she choose to come to Jesus? Like, what had she heard? Because at this point, you know, we think, oh, Jesus, uh, Jesus would be great to know. Um, maybe that's how you think about Jesus. I don't know. But there's not a lot that gives us an indication of what she was thinking like why she was coming to Jesus. But I think, I think Luke writes his book in such a way, he, he's written this here for us, so that as we walk through the story of Jesus, through these interactions between people, uh, we begin to get a sense of what she was hearing about Jesus. She's heard of a man who brings the power of God to change the impossible things in people's lives. She has heard of a man who has healed people of leprosy, which would have been only possible for God to do. She's heard of a, a Jesus who um, heals people who are uh, born with life-crippling illnesses and diseases. She has heard of Jesus who has cast out demons. She has heard of Jesus who has a gracious and tender disposition towards the weak and broken and needy people in the world. You know, just this last chapter, Jesus has gone towards a widow who was bearing her only son to raise him from the dead, to restore her to a life with God. Jesus, Jesus has this reputation of being a gracious man with the power of God to change the impossible things in our lives. And she thinks, my situation, my brokenness is impossible to change for anybody. But Jesus is here, and He, He can change us. He can change. He can change what's going on in my life. He can change the brokenness in my life. He can change this reputation, this scarlet letter that goes on, goes before me. She has heard of this about Jesus, and she loves Him for it. She loves Him because His grace, who He is the grace that she recognizes in Jesus can and does change her. She knows that Jesus is the one who can change everything about her life. And her response is to love him. He says later, Jesus is going to say later, that all of her actions have been love to him. She loves Jesus, who he is. But you can understand, there's a bit of an, an awkwardness going on here, right? She walks into the middle of this party thrown by somebody else love Jesus, and so we are introduced to the Pharisee, Simon. Simon has a bit of a different interpretation of the situation, doesn't he? Simon is looking at this woman, and of course the irony is that he is thinking to himself, if Jesus knew who this person was, if Jesus truly saw who this was, if Jesus, Jesus is a nice guy, but if Jesus knew who she is, what she's done, he wouldn't be letting her near him. He wouldn't be letting her touch him. You know, the, the irony is that Simon, Simon is thinking in his own head, if Jesus saw her for who she truly is, he, wouldn't, he would not want anything to do with her. And yet, the irony of the situation is that Jesus, 
actually not only sees her truly, but he sees Simon truly. He knows what's going on. He sees into her heart. He sees, he's, I mean, Jesus is reading his mind, you know. I mean, that's kind of like an awkward, you know, guest to have at the party, you know. Like, you know, he can read your mind. Like, that. Jesus knows, he sees the woman, he sees Simon for who he truly is. Jesus knows everything that's going on here. Uh, Jesus is not surprised, and yet Jesus graciously welcomes this interruption to the party. Jesus is not surprised, he's not inconvenienced by this interruption to the party. This is Jesus receiving this woman's uh, interruption into this party, uh, and he is graciously there to receive her. We uh, often do not like weakness. We do not like inconveniences. We are not like Jesus. Uh, if you've ever had children, you know that they can bring inconveniences into your life. Um, if you've ever had a car, you know that they are likely to break. Um, we do not like weakness and brokenness. We don't like inconveniences in our lives. We, uh, okay, here, let's just be honest. Uh, how many times have you gotten a phone call and thought, I'd rather go to voicemail than have to talk to this person? Me today. <laughs> I love getting your guys' phone calls, but um, I've never done that with any of you guys. But we, we, get, we don't like being inconvenienced by things. We like things being tidied up and in place, and we like having control. We, uh, we are largely devoting our lives to reducing the inconveniences that we experience. That's why we have all these fun apps on our phones. That's why we try to do new diet programs. We are trying to bring control, and yet here is Jesus being, he is welcoming the inconveniences. And I'm not just talking about small inconveniences because she brings a massive inconvenience into his world. She is a sinner who needs help. And maybe some of you have experienced the inconvenient realities of a broken and fallen and sinful world where you have been abandoned, you have been violated, you have been sinned against, there have been unplanned crises that you have had to rush to the ER, there have been addictions that have afflicted you that you have had to wrestle through, maybe you have been the one that has had to own up to the reality that would crush another person's life. You see, these are the realities that are inconvenient that we can't do anything about and that Jesus graciously engages with. Jesus graciously receives into the door as this woman is coming to him. He is not inconvenienced by her need. He graciously engages her need because Jesus cares about her and his grace his love for her, his grace and love for you, is not trying to be efficient. He's not trying to get the problem solved and taken care of and put aside. He's not trying to get it done as fast as possible. He is bringing effective and powerful grace to you, to this woman. You see, great, Jesus didn't come to write a book on efficient grace. He didn't come to write a book on how to be productive with grace. Jesus came to write a story of effective grace in your life so that you, as a sinner, as somebody in need, come to Jesus 
for all the things that you cannot change, which is everything. Are there, are there ways in which you are struggling, things that are unchangeable about your life, things that you cannot change? Do you feel like you annoy God? Do you feel like you annoy others? Do you feel like you are always the one that is the black sheep in the family? Jesus welcomes this woman in because he loves broken people. He is going to tell us a story. He's going to tell us a story here that is going to draw us into why and how he loves broken people. He's not he's not inconvenienced. And we're going to see secondly that he is gracious his gracious cancellation. So let's look at the story. Let's pick up at verse 40. So here's, here's Simon, who's had this internal dialogue. If Jesus knew who she was, he wouldn't let her touch him. And Jesus says, starting in verse 40, And Jesus answered, Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money owner had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Now, I have to say, this is the sort of classroom where I would not want to be called on. I don't know if you've ever been in a classroom and the teacher asks, do you have the answer? I do not want to get called on in this classroom. <laughs> I mean, there is, a, if the teacher can read your mind, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to pretend to know the answer. <laughs> and you can, hear the, you can hear the hesitation in Simon's voice, but you can also kind of hear a bit of the tension because here is Simon saying, if he was a prophet, he would know, and so then he's responding publicly, teacher. He is reducing Jesus from a prophet down to a teacher. He is responding with a little bit of some tension. There's some heat in the air. And Jesus steps right into it and gives him this parable. So what is going on with this parable? Well, to begin with, a denarii, um, an old, that's their term for money at the time, been money. A denarii was a day's, day's worth of money, so I don't know how much you get paid, but a hundred bucks or less for a day. And so, Jesus tells a story of a money lender. A money lender would have, obviously, lent money with interest. Here's a denarii. Here's a denarii. Two guys. And the reality is, we, we want to look at the, there's a, a temptation to want to look at the amounts and say, oh man, look at how much they owed. But the reality is, there's a lot of similarities between these two individuals, right? Two guys. They've both racked up uh, a debt with this money lender. They are both unfaithful to pay that money back. They're both incapable of paying the money back, and they're both needy. You know, one of them has two months' worth of debt that he owes for day's wages. Another has a year's worth, let's say. There's a lot that there's, that represents, but they're both, at the end of it, they're both very similar. They're both dependent. They're both needy. They're both, they're both incapable of changing their situation. And what 
the money lender does is he cancels the debt. Now, I, I don't know about you, uh, it's a bit of a, it's a bit difficult to understand uh, today's culture with money and their day's culture with money. I mean, certainly we have debt today. That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, but we have what's called bankruptcy today. I mean, if you, ever, if you ever watch The Office, there's a moment where Michael Scott steps out of his office. I declare bankruptcy. And Oliver, of course, like, you know, you can't, you can't, that's not the way bankruptcy works, but we still think about bankruptcy as like, you know, we declare bankruptcy, get rid of my debt. Doesn't work that way in the old days. I mean, today, this situation would be a bit more like uh, The Sopranos or um, uh, Breaking Bad or taking money from The Godfather. It would have been a bit more, uh, the money lender had all the control, the money lender had everything in his power to throw somebody who couldn't pay the debt into prison forever until they pay the debt, which seems a bit of like an odd equation. You can't pay your debt when you're in prison. I don't know how that works, but that's how they did it. And it was like that up until, you know, recently, recent time. That's the way it worked. That's the way money lending worked. And so you can imagine it would not have been a fun deal to be on the bad side of a money lender like this. Uh, but that is to say, the money lender had total control. And what he does, instead of exercising that total control to throw both of these dudes into, into jail forever, he cancels the debt which means that the money lender absorbed the debt. He absorbed what was going on. He absorbed the problem. He absorbed their debt to him. He took the cut. He took the pain. He took the loss of the debt. And what I find fascinating here is that Jesus, of all the analogies that he could have used, when talking about this woman who was a sinner and why he loved her, uses this parable to talk about why he loved her that talks about canceling debt. It talks about canceling the debt that stands against her. Because at the heart of the gospel, at the heart of who Jesus is, at the heart of what he is about and why he loves her and why he loves Simon and why he loves you and why he loves me is because Jesus is looking at this whole problem of sin and recognizing that the only way to solve the problem of sin, to deal with the problem of sin, to love people and to give people the true grace that they need, is to cancel that debt by his own life. You see, the, the money lender in this parable had to absorb the pain, absorb the cost, absorb the debt, and Jesus, it is said, is going to go to the cross where he can cancel the debt of sin. Jesus knows the sinner, and he knows the cost that must be paid, and he knows that in order for his grace to be full and effective, and in order to give and to change by his grace, he must go and take on the cost of sin. Colossians 2, 13 and 14, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. That's Jesus. How did God make, the, make us alive with Jesus? By forgiving our trespasses. How did God do that? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demand. He set it aside nailing to the cross. God canceled the debt of sin. Jesus knows that the record of debt of sin will not be canceled apart from his own life. The cost of his life so that we might have life. The record of debt that Jesus sees and will cancel is 
the wrath of God that we deserve for all the ways that we have offended and cut God of all the ways that we should have loved Him and obeyed Him because we are created to know God, we are created to love God, we are created to obey God, and we have failed at every turn, at every point, at every moment in our lives. I have, you have, this woman has, Simon has, and Jesus sees the problem of sin in her life, Jesus sees the problem of sin in your life, and he embraced the inconvenience of your sin so that he could walk towards a dusty, forsaken hill in the trash heap outskirts of a city to bear the wrath of God that we deserve to pay the debt of sin so that we could be welcomed into God's table of fellowship so that the cancellation of our sin could happen by the canceling of his life. You see, the only difference between this woman and Simon, the only difference between them is the perceived amount of sin in their lives. They have both been unfaithful. They have both been sinners. They they are both incapable of changing themselves. And Jesus is telling this parable to draw Simon's attention, to draw our attention to this reality. We cannot change ourselves. But Jesus, out of his gracious gracious love for you, for me, embraces the debt, embraces the punishment that we deserve so that we could live and know God. See, grace cancels the power of sin because Jesus, seeing this woman, Jesus, seeing you, walks towards the cross to pay the debt, to absorb the cost. I don't think that this woman had a full idea of what was going on, but she knew Jesus is a solution. Jesus is who I need. Jesus makes a difference. And she loves him for it. So we are invited to see Jesus embracing our debt, embracing our cost, embracing our condition, our neediness, our helplessness. We're invited to see Jesus taking that to the cross where he he loves us and lays his life down for us so that we we could be forgiven of our sins. See, but this is the only reason that we can <coughs> know and love Jesus. Because he, he lays down his life for us. See, this is where the gracious cancellation is at. The cross is where God graciously, not because we deserve it, not because we ask for it, not because we prayed the right prayer. No. God forgives our sins because Jesus took our sins upon him. And so, Jesus tells this parable to Simon to draw his attention to the deep need that he has, to the deep problem that is up, and to his own gracious solution. And so, (coughs) Jesus 
is going to continue to instruct Simon and he's going to continue to help us understand what grace is. So, let's pick up in verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Which is just so funny to me because Jesus has just called Simon on the spot for not seeing this woman correctly and because Jesus sees Simon correctly. But here's Jesus underlying the point. Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. As, as a point of reference, they would have worn sandals like I'm wearing. They would have been dusty feet from walking on unpaved roads because they didn't have cement back then. They would have had un, you know, dirty feet. Simon, a bit of a... Um, rude gesture that he did not give Jesus any water for his feet. But Jesus continues, You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began saying among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We are seeing here this gracious declaration of God's kindness to her. God's gracious declaration is what we're looking at. And this is just the irony here is just so palpable. Here is Simon who thought he saw the woman. Jesus sees Simon for who he is. And Jesus is drawing our attention to this gracious declaration about the forgiveness of sins. <coughs> you see, this woman knew her deep condition. She knew that she had no hope in this world apart from God in Jesus but Simon, thinking that he had his suit buttoned up, that he had everything in his life in order, he thinks he's got it all together. But she loves Jesus and is saved for her faith. You see, Simon had a debt, but he didn't know how great it was. This woman knew her debt. And Jesus is vividly, vividly living out this great promise of Scripture that the sacrifices of God, Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You see, Jesus saw her broken condition. He sees your broken condition. He sees the broken condition, and he does not despise it. He does not... Sinner not what Jesus does. Simon, on the other hand, totally scoffs at the broken condition. He was, I mean, it was, it's like a pastor saying like, oh, all these sinners, gosh. All these people who need, have need. Jesus sees the problem. He sees the broken condition. He sees her need. He sees Simon's need. He sees your need. And he loves it. He loves you. But Simon 
He's a despiser. So are you frustrated with why you can't change or why things don't change in your life? Jesus is not. doesn't just kind of like roll his eyes. Jesus doesn't roll his eyes at your needs. He welcomes you into his presence. You see, we are, we tend to despise weakness. We tend to despise things that inconvenience us. I mean, you see this all the time, right? You know, you see in the news, there's some guy who gets caught for doing something that, you know, we've all either thought about doing or have done, but he gets caught doing it, and he loses his job, he gets reamed in the news. We get, uh, we see it all the time uh, with how we just get annoyed with, you know, on the way over here tonight, I was at the traffic light, like, I'm inconvenienced by this person who's got a cop pulling him over, um, and I'm just inconvenienced by it. We just don't like weakness and brokenness, and yet we, are, we tend to despise it, and here is Jesus saying, I don't despise sin and weakness. We are, we are all saved, you realize, we're all saved by Jesus doing what the world thought was weak, letting Unjust, letting people unjustly crucify him. People, Jesus died a weak death, right? He died for sins he did not commit. And he died under a king that he could have quickly overthrown. He died in a court that he could have quickly called unjust. He died in a weak position, in a weak stature, in a weak and broken body, so that we, who are the despisers, who would have called out, crucify him, which we, the people who despised his weakness, he dies weakly so that we, who proudly despised him, could be saved by his death on our behalf. He died for our weakness. We are all the voices that condemn Jesus at the cross because we despise weakness, and yet it is weakness, the very weakness of God on the cross that saved us in our weakest condition, and Simon is being confronted by the great power of God in graciously declaring this woman forgiven of her sins. You know, we, we despise how weakness works, but here Jesus loves her weakness and enters into it, and the freedom of his grace he graciously heals her, he graciously forgives her, he graciously forgives everything about her, her sin condition is very clear. It's not like, oh, you know, like, let's just be a little bit more sympathetic for her. Uh, it's pretty obvious. She had a reputation. But Jesus, Jesus quickly and eagerly declares her forgiven because she looks to him for help. And I think one of the things that we have to take away from this is that there is there are no degrees there's no degrees of so and so's so and so's the sinner. Sorry, I think that's my son in there. Sorry, guys. There's there is um there's no degrees of somebody's worse. There there are degrees in the sense of somebody might have done things that appear to be worse, but the reality is that just like both of these people in the parable are both unfaithful, they're both needy, they're both broken. Both this woman and Simon, they are both, at the end of the day, they are both equally 
on level ground at the foot of the cross. Billy Graham has this great quote, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. <coughs> they are both in desperate need, and there are no degrees of a worse sinner than the, than the other. I think one of the ways that we can work to apply this in our lives is that we, we need to think more, we need to think less in terms of us versus them, which is so often our posture. Uh, whatever your preference of sinner is today to be against, it's not us versus that group of people. It's us with them, right? We are both on level ground at the foot of the cross. We are both, just like Simon and this woman, we are both in desperate need of God's forgiving grace because the reality is that you can tithe the King's Cross Church for the rest of your life. You can be at all of our meetings. You can come to every night and you will have gained nothing you do not know Jesus and love Jesus and have found the forgiveness of sins in Jesus. We are not here to try to usher you into comfort. We are here to usher you in to see Jesus on the cross where he died in our place <coughs> so that we could know this grace of God that absorbs all of our debt, all of our sin against God. And this is why we call it loving Jesus call it loving Jesus together because we love this king on his cross reigning over us, forgiving our debt, canceling the cost of our debt against God, canceling the record of our sin against God so that we could live in the goodness of God, so that we could live under the smile of our Father so that we could know and love Jesus we could have intimacy with God that we could know God deeply. This, the cost of us knowing God is the cancellation of Jesus' life. We can love Jesus more and more if we meditate upon the cross, if we trust and know God in the cross. I, we tend to call it a cross-centered life, a gospel-centered life. It is something that we need to cultivate in our lives of seeing Christ on the cross regularly dying for our sins on a daily basis so that we would love and know Him more. That is how we will change. That is how our lives will grow if we love Jesus for His costly grace. Do you, do you see Him? Do you, do you see Him on the cross? Loving Jesus for his costly grace because of his death on our cross on our cross let's pray Father we thank you for this word we thank you for Jesus dying in our place and we ask that as we continue to worship you would show us more of Christ in him we pray Amen Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.